Welcome to the Lighthouse Financial Advisors Money Over 50 podcast with Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue. This information is general in nature and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Therefore, you should consider whether the information is appropriate for you and your personal circumstances. If you require personal advice, please contact Lighthouse Financial Advisors. Here are your hosts, Dallas Davison and Michael Hogue. Welcome to today's episode of Mythbusters. I'm Adam Savage. I'm here today with Jamie Heineman. I mean, that's, that's not at all what this is, but it's no, the it's financial not. equivalent. So today is Financial Mythbusters. So we wanted to go through a list of the uh, most common myths that we hear and uh, either, either agree or disagree or refute or non-refute, as, depending on how the, the case may be. I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, We've, uh, so we, it's, it's I, I feel like I've had this, these conversations, each of these things. I've had these conversations in probably a hundred times each, and so mm. now I, I'm looking forward to having this recorded, so that the next time someone says one of these things, I can just forward them the link to this <laughs> podcast. Go and listen to that. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, it's a good idea because because it's uh, it's something I've wanted to do for a while. Yeah. And they're, they're financial myths that we hear all of the time. So we wanted to bust them today. Yeah. And um, we'll do it by theme yep. at the start. So the first one, because I know that you, yep. you really dislike this one. You feel very Dallas. strongly about this. You feel very strongly about this one, is car myths yep. or vehicle myths. Yeah. The reason I, I think I um, feel very strongly about this is that, like a lot of these myths, there's... Uh, it's, it's a bit of backfilling that goes on where people mm. want to buy a new car and then they feel that they need to come up with a reason why they should do that. And so all of these different things are, uh, are basically, I don't know whether it's conscious or subconscious, in a lot of cases we've got the, um, we've got the, the issue of someone deciding they want to do something and then reasoning their way back into why they should be able to do it. So... Um, Another little, little bit of a uh, little message out to, to Spence, my, uh, my old MMA coach, who I, I use some of his pearls of wisdom sometimes. We used to talk about buying cars in the gym and everyone have a reason why they wanted to do it. And Spence was the only one who actually said to me one day something that made sense, which was, I wanted to buy a Hummer and so I did and that's it. Well, yeah. you can't argue with that. He just wanted to drive, just wanted to drive it a Hummer, and that's in, what he in did. a really big car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the, the most common uh, myths that we hear with regards to cars, uh, you should turn your cars over every three years. Yes. So I hear this one a lot. Yeah. Um, people buy a new car or they lease a car, and they tell me, oh, look, you've got to turn them over every three years, yeah. which means which means get a new one yeah. every three years <laughs> it, because they lose too much value if you, if you yeah, hold them for longer than that. Um, what that means is that they're forever in debt yep. and they're forever paying, making a lease payment yep. uh, or they're forever making a repayment on the vehicle. Yep. Um, and and what, um, uh, what they don't see is the opportunity cost. So yes. if you go back to episode three, which yep. is drive a $15,000 car yep. to That's, draw. That must be your favourite podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've referenced it a lot. Um, look, it's a I mean, it's, it's just one of those ones where... Yep. 
um, if I drive a car that I fully own for yep. the last 15 years of my working life and I yep. put what I was going to put in the repayments yep. to that car, if I put that into my superannuation fund, yep. um, then I get to go on an overseas holiday for the first 20 years of my uh, retired life yep. and spend $20,000 a year yep. on that holiday before yep. that extra money that I've accumulated runs out. Yes. So yep. I would much prefer that than the yep. new car spell. Yeah. And I think this is one that um, there's a thing about the psychology of um, human decision making is that, you know we we are really uh, drawn to vivid things and so w- what I mean there is if you've got a car loan repayment of three hundred dollars a fortnight or three hundred dollars a week or whatever the amount is that just comes out every fortnight we don't mm. see that we don't think about what the effect of that is but if you drive an old car and um, something goes wrong and you have to replace the transmission and it costs fifteen hundred dollars. We curse and and you know punch the wall and think that our life's ending because we've had to come up with fifteen hundred dollars. Not 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 thinking about it of well if my repayment if my car loan repayment was three hundred dollars a week that that's just over a month's worth of repayments. I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. that's a myth. A yeah. myth is that I've got an old car. <laughs> yeah, the maintenance is going to cost. And the maintenance yeah. is we hear that one a lot as well. Yeah. The maintenance is going to cost me more than the repayments on a new car. That's just not true. Absolutely a myth. Yeah. Absolute <laughs> and, absolute myth. And I think like, as soon as you as soon as you say that to people, it's kind of that's a good one where once you pull them up on that, most people give a bit of a wry smile and go, Well, yeah, but I just want a new car. Go, okay, <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> But it's not a, it, it, yeah, the, the maintenance on that, I've driven old cars all my life. I've been relatively lucky with some of them. Other ones, I've had big maintenance bills, and I can still tell you that I'm a long way in front of, of the car loan repayments that I would have made over that time. It, it's just a, a complete myth. And like many of these myths, you've got to think about uh, who, who is telling you that. So the person who's telling you to turn your car over every three years, why would they be telling you that? They're probably a car salesman or a car lease salesman or some yeah. equivalent like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, look, it, it's, it's one of those ones that there's a variation to be, I mean, when you touched on it before, say you are driving an old bomb yeah. that does cost you, yeah. start costing you money. Yeah. So the, the, the decision tree isn't yes. to hold that bomb or buy a brand new expensive car. car. Yeah. There's, a, there's a middle ground there. That's right. So I pay cash for an as new. Yep. Yeah. Fifteen thousand dollar car, exactly, and that gives me none of the problems that my old bomb gives me. Yep, um, yep. and I fully own it, so I'm not paying it off, and I can yep. put all that money yep. that I was going to pay on the lease That's repayment right. to the yep. fifty no. to sixty to eighty thousand dollar car. Yeah, um, straight into my that, superannuation, off my mortgage or whatever. That's a good point. I, I think that there's like a lot of those decisions it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other there mm. is there is scope to yes at some stage your car will just break down and you will not be able to drive it anymore yep. you will have to replace it but it doesn't have to be with a brand new car with a, a lease or a loan attached That's or right. anything like that um, so I think those are the, the couple of the, the myth the car myths which is you should turn it over every three years I'm going to spend more in maintenance on, on my old car than what a new car would cost me the third one I've got here, which I, I hear a lot of, and this one kind of makes more sense to me from, uh, again, the psychology of how people spend money. A lot of people that I talk to, just before they retire, they want to buy a new car and say, well, this car will see me out. Or, mm. you know, I'll, I'll which have, which is a funny one, yeah. because they, they, those same people yeah. um, also say, 
that oh yeah mum's still alive at 95 yeah and she lives <laughs> I in want one of these cars and that you can buy at 65 I, and I, goes I need to years. buy a new car at 65 this will, this will see me out I'm like yeah. when do you think you're going to <laughs> stop off driving the yeah. I mean if, 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 if yeah. you've got longevity in your family and medical yeah. uh, advances yeah. are only getting better yeah then you're going to live a long time like, yeah. people yeah. cannot fathom no that length of time that they're going to spend in retirement. Yeah, but I think the the main one that there's sort of two parts to it that people um, don't really um, think all the way through with this. And like I say, this this myth, I can see how people arrive at that, wanting to buy a new mm. car before they retire. And, and in some cases, it's 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 really more of them actually trying to do a bit of future planning and try and uh, you know get set up for retirement, which is an yes. admirable um, thing to think about. The two parts to it though are. Number one, you're going to live a lot longer than what you th- what you think. So you probably you, that car may not see you out. Secondly, even if that if that were the case, if you take thirty thousand dollars at age sixty five and go and buy a brand new car, if you had just left that money in your retirement savings and and got um, you know got a seven percent return on that, that that thirty thousand dollars would have doubled over ten years. Mm. So if if you were able to get your existing car to cruise along for another ten years before mm. you had to replace it, your thirty thousand dollars that you that you would now be worth sixty thousand mm. dollars. So there's it's it's not as though and the price of the new car has come down to twenty two thousand dollars. This, this is exactly, that's, that's the exactly one thing right. that's actually dropping in exactly relative right. price is, yes. is our vehicles. So. Yeah. So you're taking money out of something that's going to grow in value, mm. which is your retirement savings, your superannuation, your pension account, whatever the case may be. You're taking thirty thousand dollars out of that to buy something that's going to drop in value, mm. versus leaving it in there, letting that grow, and then if at some stage in the future you do need to replace that car, you you can just take the amount that you actually need at that point in time. Yep, agreed. Uh, yeah. So we move on to um, we move on to house myths. House myths. This is my you sec- like this one my second well, favorite one. People are going to think I'm some weirdo who lives in a caravan and, and doesn't drive anywhere <laughs> which isn't quite the case but um, yeah so house myth another one that I think if you look at the the car myths are normally just people want to buy a new car and they want a reason to do it mm. the housing myth is is sometimes it's a combination of the two where mm. people either want to buy a new house or they want to want to you know upsize or do something like that and they just want to justify it but then there is also a, a fair component there of I think people want to do the right thing financially and, and there may just be some of these myths that, especially in Australia, we have had uh, ingrained from an early age. Um, so uh, the, the, the one that I remember hearing when I was a kid growing up, and, and you don't hear it quite as much anymore in the last few years, but you know, property doubles every, every seven years. Mm. Or, or another variation of that is property always goes up. Mm. Now, we've, this has been shown in the last five years in Townsville here that that just isn't the case. Number one, property prices haven't they haven't doubled over the last seven years, and in, in most cases, they've actually gone down over the last seven years. Yeah, so, absolutely. They've, they've, they've definitely gone down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's um, it, it's sort of tight. so that you know, property doubling every seven years or property always going up in in value ties into another bit of a, a myth that we that you hear about is you know people talking about breaking into the property market. And, mm. and it's as though it's a never-ending wave of rising prices where if I don't get in now, I'll never be able to get in because house prices will rise by 10% a year for the rest of my life and I'll be left out in the, in the cold. Look, you, you hear that a lot. And, and I mean, most of those people that want to break into things, um, 
that's just become a thought that's entered their head. Yeah. Because you, know, you say, where's your deposit? Yeah. And yes. well, they don't have one. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and and this is generally uh, this is generally younger people we're talking about here, not yeah. not mid fifties people, but yeah. um, but but can be uh, yeah. for older people as well. So, I mean, it brings in a whole series of myths here. Yeah. With uh, yeah. so you have to break into the property market early. Yeah. Um, the other myth that you hear is that um, look, I can afford my I'm paying three hundred dollars a week in rent, and my repayments line be three hundred and fifty dollars yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, so it's only costing me an extra fifty dollars. Yeah wrong absolutely wrong like <laughs> now the, the, the good thing about this is that so i i uh, i still rent and but you aren't yeah. so the good thing is now uh, for, you, you've owned for a few years now so we always can come back to this thing of you've kept a track of all the money that's been spent i've kept a track like people grossly underestimate yeah what it costs to yeah. maintain a house um so in full disclosure here, I'm fully aware that the best financial decision for me would not to be yep. to own yep. my yep. house. Yep. So I could rent for cheaper yep. in the grand scheme of things. Yep. So, you so it's, a, it's a life, like a, I'm prepared to wear that cost every yep. year yep. Um, for lifestyle. Yeah. Because we live in a great street. and yep. uh, You want to be there long term. You want to be there long term. All these lifestyle but, but it's a cost. I, I fully, yep. there is an absolute opportunity cost there. Yep. Um, yep. But... Um, people grossly underestimate what it costs to maintain a house. Yeah. Like I, I think minimum it's ten thousand dollars a year. So if yep. we just look at uh, air conditioning. Yeah. So a full house of new split systems, which yep. last only ten years yep. to twelve years. Yep. Uh, is fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars. So yep. when you look at it from that angle. Yep. Um, it's costing you somewhere in the vicinity of fifteen hundred dollars every year. Aircon just just for just to replace one tiny little element of your house, yes. which is which is yeah. air conditioning. Yeah. Forget about painting. Forget yeah. about yeah. all those other things, which costs yeah you know, yeah many many more times that. Yeah. And uh, and this to is paint a house. This is inside a, now again because you actually are in this situation. The it's great because this isn't you talking about what you think might maybe happen in the future this is this is cost that you have incurred over the last three four years over the, three, you... over the last three or four years yeah um so and, and and there's more there's more to come very soon yeah because <laughs> yeah. it needs a painting side yeah. now yeah uh you yeah. know we've had termite damage yeah um we've had yeah um the, the, these are the things that people just never ever consider Take and um, and that's those are the um I find I can kind of understand if we under budget for um, you know home maintenance and those sorts of things. Unless you've owned a house, you probably don't know all the things that can go wrong yes. in a house. But again, going back to your point of if my rent's three hundred dollars a week and I can pay my loan repayments for three hundred fifty, there are other expenses that we know. We add, add two hundred for maintenance, yeah, on average, because yeah, because those are ten grand a year, so it's yeah. now five fifty. Yeah, now um, we haven't add, even got into rates. We haven't. <laughs> And uh, what is it for rates then? It's, it's about, about seven thousand dollars a year for your yeah. rates and your insurance. For, your, for your rates and your insurances, so yeah, um, yeah there's there's uh, one hundred and fifty a week. Yep. So you're up to you're up to seven hundred a week. Yeah. Versus three hundred a week. Yeah. So, and that that actually ties. This, this is all flowing very neatly. It's almost like we planned it, which we which we really didn't. There wasn't much science behind the planning of yeah. this, but the the next myth that that once people have have arrived at that point of well. Yes, I can rent for three hundred, but or I can own that house for for seven hundred. But at the end of the day, I'll own my house. And the next myth is renting is dead money. And I think that we would 
to some degree that that is correct uh, in as much as the rent that you pay you're never going to get that back mm. but I would actually make the argument that the money that you're paying in rates the money that the money that you're paying in insurances the money that you're paying in interest to the bank that's all dead money as well absolutely and so you're not getting any of that back the only thing that you are getting back is is the actual principal repayment on the loan that you've got yeah. and and any potential capital growth in the property which as we just discussed, is, does not mean it's going to double every seven years. It's you know, long-term, somewhere in the range of 3%. So That's right. And, and, and we're not saying don't do it, but, but make sure it fits in your overall plan. And, and um, know with your eyes wide open what you're doing as yeah. well, like, because you, you, you hear these things that people say that are just myths, like yeah. we're dispelling today. Yeah. Um, so and you, I, th- I think that ties into the... Um, Again, the, the, you just said a phrase before that we think about a lot, opportunity cost, which mm. for many people we don't really take into account is that if I'm paying $700 a week for all of my ownership costs of a house versus $300 to a week to rent, assuming I blow all of that spare $400 a week, then yes, I am no better off doing that. Mm. But there is an opportunity cost uh, to, to coming out with that extra 400 If I was to take that $400 and... Um, set it aside and invest it elsewhere or contribute into superannuation or any number of other ways that you could use that money, mm. that has to be taken into account when we're looking at what is the effect of renting versus home ownership. Yep. Um, the, the last myth about uh, home ownership that, and this one doesn't really make sense to me, is when people say, I, I can kind of understand most of the rest of these, but then sometimes people say, my, my house is my super or my home mm. is my super. Yeah, they... they you hear that a lot. Um, the other one that people will say is, "Oh no, my, ha- my house is my super, or my house is a no, it's a, it's, it's a huge asset." Yeah. And you and you go, "Well, are you going to sell that yeah. to yeah. put that into your super fund to draw an income from?" Yeah. And they say no. Yeah. Yeah. So it it can't be no. unless you can draw an income from it, it. It's not an asset. Yeah. And that that is one where, I think again, that is a, a myth. As soon as you push back on that, you you kind of get people to. They will very quickly see that it's it's a very glib thing to say my my home is my super. That may be the case if you if you are going to sell your house at retirement mm. and invest that money in a way that you can draw an income from it and meet your income needs in retirement. Then then I guess yes, your your house is is behaving like your superannuation savings mm. in that case. But for most people, uh, that's not normally what they're talking about. That's um, right. Um, the, that ties a bit into, there's another bit of a myth that, that we hear all the time of, people seem to, people like analogies, and no one likes analogies more than us, we love a good analogy, but where, where we hear a myth is when um, something is compared to something else that it's not the same as. So, uh, my home is my super, is, is it, you know, an analogy of it's like my super. It isn't at all, it's a completely different thing. Your house is, is a consumption item, it is something that you are consuming and that is costing you money. You have to live somewhere, so no one's saying that you shouldn't have a home, um, but it's not anything like your retirement savings that you can draw an income from when you're retired. Mm. There's similar sort of another myth that I hear all the time, and, and we're sort of moving on from the property side of it now, is uh, people that will say to me, particularly small business owners, will say, my business is my super. Mm. And this one kind of makes a bit more sense to me because um, most people are thinking when I retire, I will sell my business and I will use those sale proceeds to invest in a way that I can draw an income from. 
that that may be the case, but for most people, they haven't actually really uh, done those calculations and worked out what their business is actually worth. The devil's in the detail. Isn't the devil it? is in the detail because there point. are industries, there are whole industries yep. that um, that you basically cannot sell yep. any goodwill yep. in that business. No, that's right. And some of these businesses are big businesses, like yep. um, yeah, electrical businesses yep. are a good example of that. Yes. So. Yep. Um, upon retirement, like yep. no one's prepared to pay you any goodwill for that yep. business. Yep. Um, what you're selling, yep. uh, um, plant and equipment. Yes. So, yep. so which which generally yep. and isn't enough. So, and and that's I guess our, our point is that you you may well be taking in the calculations of a potential business sale uh, into your retirement savings. You might go, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to be. If, if I can sell my business for X amount and I've already got some other savings, that will be enough to give me the amount that I need. Yep. But there's, a, there's some calculations that actually need to go into that, not just saying my business is my super. Is your business going to be saleable for $50,000 or $500,000 or $5 million? You, you need to know that before you can just make a glib statement like my business mm. is my super. Yep. Um, you know, we're, we're business owners and, and this is one that we, we've discussed before where you go, Yes, there, there is a saleable value to our business, but most the way that we think of it is our income that we earn from our business and that we earn from our wages that we pay ourselves, that's really going to be our biggest asset over the next 20 years of our life. We really need to use that income every year to actually be building up our own retirement savings so that if our business didn't sell for one, $1, we would still be... I, I, think that's, I think that's the key, Dallas. Yeah. Like what you touched on there, you, you actually need, if you're a business owner, you need to say... Yeah. Um, uh, you need to use another myth, yeah. which is um, my business will sell for one dollar. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. My, yeah, that's my right. business will sell for zero dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now it, it's it's somewhere in the middle, middle yes, there. But if you right. if you treat your yeah. business, if you assume that your business yeah. doesn't have a saleable value yeah. at the end of your working life, yeah. what you then do is you, you structure things Very a different. lot better. Yeah. Where you yeah. where where you have to. Yes. You have structure things a lot better. Where you say, okay, well, I need to. I need to generate enough profits out of this business yep. to be able to put away um, into my retirement savings so that, that yep. when I physically don't turn up for work and we sell this business for $1, yep. not, not, not the million dollars that yep. people assume that they yep. get for, yep. for their business, then um, yep. then those people have got enough in their retirement savings from the profits that they've earned every year. Yep. And, and to earn those profits, they've got to get yep. organised. Um, and, and that's, I guess, another part of the, the business side of that is that what we find is... Getting a bit, assuming that you, assuming that you are going to sell your business for one dollar, actually makes you really sharpen up for a lot of our business owner clients and really think about how do I, how do I make this business as profitable as possible, and and allow me to actually draw some income out every year, yep. and it sort of seems strange, but but doing that that way actually makes your business more valuable. You've, it does. you've got an asset that that you are actually able to draw a profit out of every year. Yeah. It's then a saleable asset. Whereas if you're just running that along and and living drawing a wage of it not and nothing else yep. then you have no profit to to then be able to sell onto someone absolutely um, moving on uh to so uh you've got down here on the list shares so buying yep. shares is like gambling we hear that one a lot yeah which which is interesting because i because i like to gamble <laughs> <laughs> you like to cap your gambling <laughs> that's true at a, it's, and, you, and it's an entertainment yeah. expense yes and 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 so I've never thought of I, I guess because of the way that I I like to uh, I, I enjoy um, horse racing and all of, all of those sorts of things 
I've never thought of buying shares just like that. But I guess if you... I can see you, it from the point of view of the, yeah. the, the, the actual term of reference shares. So shares tells me nothing. That's right. Um, if I say... If, 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 if we say buying the largest 200 companies yeah. in Australia and buying yeah. the largest buying, 1,500 yeah. companies in the world yeah. is like gambling. Worth, it yeah. sounds absurd, doesn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, I mean, when you, when you corner it that way, yeah. if, you, yeah. if you talk about buying little pieces of the world's profitable, most profitable companies, yeah. um, you can, you yeah. can yeah. quickly yeah. see how... And, and that's a, a great, like, to make it even uh, more concrete. Absurd it is to, yeah. to, if you were to say, uh, yeah, again, buying buying a part of Woolworths is like gambling. It seems very unexciting. It's not as much fun as, as betting on horses at all. You, you're basically buying a part of a business that is uh, selling products at a, at a profit every every week. It's it's very different to, to gambling. And I think the language that we use around that is, is a lot of the reason that Again, if if you um, if you're not doing this for a job day in day out, I can see why people see it that way. Because if, if you if you use the language of shares or investing in the one we hear, the share market, mm. the share market, investing in the share market is like mm. gambling, and and it may well be. But buying, uh, becoming a part owner in uh, the biggest and most profitable companies in the world, it's it's nothing. It's nothing like gambling. The, no. If if you're if you're buying a, a part of Woolworths hoping that the price will go up next week and you can sell it to, to someone yes. else for a bigger price, then yes, that is like gambling. Yeah, look, the price will go up and down. I mean, the, the same people that tell you that will will say, in the short term, the price will go up and down, and in the yeah. longer term, it generally yeah. Yeah. goes Trends up. up over time, um, yeah. Uh, the same people will tell you this. Um, uh, they'll, they'll look at different assets entirely different, so they'll, yeah. they, they don't like the volatility or yep. the fluctuation in prices of, of yep. those companies. Yep. But they actually don't see that with their own house. Yes. Because they try and sell their house for four hundred thousand dollars and the best offer they get is three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yep. And um and they say, Well no, I'm not selling it for that. It's yep. worth four hundred. I'm gonna hang on to it. It's not, it's worth three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. You yep. put it on the market, yep. the best offer was yep. three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yep. Um so that's that's what it's worth right now. Yes. Yep. Like, yeah, uh, so so they look at things a little bit differently. Different, there, yeah. But you hear that um, uh, the other one that we hear as well is that the closer you get to retirement, you should be moving all of your you know, your, yep. your superannuation uh, into cash yep. and and conservative defensive assets like yep. cash and fixed interest. Yep. Um, think of that like having a term deposit in yep. your superannuation fund now. Yeah. Um, that's a myth for most people because it just won't earn them enough money. No. They'll run out of money yeah. too quickly in retirement. Yeah, that's that's again one like you're saying where the devil's in the details there. If you're going to retire at seventy-five and you are going to pass away at eighty, yes, you probably should have all of your super in cash. But for most people that we're meeting with, they're retiring at sixty or sixty-five, and as a couple, one of them on average is going to live for thirty years. So. Uh, moving all of their retirement savings into cash when they retire, you, you're basically moving into an asset that just isn't going to give you the return that you you need to draw an income for 30 years. Well, I like to I, I, I mean I like to visualize when you when you stop going to work. Yeah. I like to visualize your money going to work. <laughs> yeah. And and think of cash and term deposits which currently pay in the one yeah. to two percent rate yeah. of interest. Yeah. 
they're, they're a fat, lazy worker that, uh, <laughs> that you wouldn't actually want no. to have working for yep, you. Yep, um, yep, Because they're just not pulling their own weight. Yep. So what you need is is, is um, someone that's a bit more sprightly and yep, dressed yep, properly yep, and, yep, and, and yep, is a go-getter and things yep. like that. So yeah, you need your money to be earning more than 1% to 2% because yep. the, the, the problem for most people is that they underestimate two things when yep. they enter retirement. How much they're going to spend every year? Yep. Um, grossly underestimate that. Yeah. Particularly, and, and particularly <laughs> taking inflation into account and saying, if even if yes. you are correct in that first year of how much you're going to spend, yep. 20, 30 years down the road, that income that you need is going to go up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, double, triple. And they underestimate about how long they're going to spend in retirement. So, yep. so what you find is that if you've moved all of your money into into cash, yep. Um, uh, as you approach retirement, in retirement. That one to two percent rate of return yeah. just isn't anywhere near enough. You, for most people, that means they're going to be run out of money fully yeah. Yeah. Um, before the tenth year of their retirement. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to segue a little bit into here. Just so, just uh, there's there's something that I think uh, there's a there's a there's a um, phenomenon phenomenon if that's the right word. I don't know if it is coming into um, superannuation. Yeah. Uh, that is. Uh, I think it's just completely wrong, which is called target dated funds. Yep. Um, yep. What that is, if you haven't selected an investment strategy for your superannuation fund, yep. as you move into older brackets, so you know yep. it's common for when you move, when you hit fifty, yep. they move your money that you have invested in your superannuation into a more conservative yep. um, tilt. Yep. And then the next one is when you hit fifty-five, for example, they'll yes. move it even more conservative. Yep. And then sixty, they move it yep. even more conservative. So yep. if you're not looking at it. What they're doing is, um, on your behalf, is assuming that you want less volatility. Yep. Um, which is the it's the wrong demon. Yeah. It's the wrong demon to be fighting. Yep. Because um, the the uh, it's not the volatility that's going to hurt people in retirement. No. Uh, volatility yep. comes and goes. Yep. It's It's Lack moving your money into such a low return that you're going to just plow right. through it too yes. early. Yep. And and that's this is one where, you know. Um, how you invest your your retirement savings at at retirement, you know, we've we have read um, stacks of research paper, different ways to do that. There, there is a lot of research that that has been done and needs to be done, and there's a lot of different decisions that make at that point in time to determine how you should be investing your retirement savings. Mm. So, again, this is the, this is the whole danger of myths and cliches and that sort of thing, isn't it? Is that yep. it's a one size fits all. Yeah, just move all your super into cash when you retire. Mm. That may be fine if you've got ten million dollars in in your super fund and you want to spend fifty grand a year. Yeah, move it into cash. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you right. do. For most people, there are trade offs and there are decisions that need to be made, and and you cannot just um, make a blanket statement like you should move mm. all your, your super into cash when you retire. It, mm. It's something that takes a fair bit of thought and a fair bit of planning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think another another myth about uh, investing in companies, and you, you'll notice again with the language that we use around, we speak about investing in companies versus shares or the share market for that reason that we want people to think of it as part ownership of, of a profitable business rather than as a piece of paper that goes up and goes down. This next myth that we hear all the time is you should try to buy low and sell high. So basically you should try and time the market. And that's... Again, if, if you think of it from the perspective of uh, a part ownership of a company, if I want to uh, buy a part of Woolworths so that I get a share of their profits every year for the next 
30 years while I'm retired and they're going to send me a, you know, a share of those profits that they're making every year as a dividend. I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to try and pick when I think their price is lower or higher on a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis. It can't be done. done. No. And I've... And it doesn't. Two things, as we've discussed at great length, it can't be done and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter and it can't be done. If if, if I'm buying for a share of those profits... The world's greatest investor ever, Warren Buffett. I remember this during the global financial crisis. Yeah. So he bought a whole stack of companies. Yeah. because he had loads of cash to yep. do that. Yeah. Um, when the ASX 200 was at uh, uh, 3,900 points. Yeah. Thinking that it was, might have been close to the bottom. Yep. I mean, he would tell you that it, you could you never can pick, never pick it, it. Yeah. But it actually continued to drop to 3,150. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah, had he waited and waited and waited, he, he could have done that. Had a cheap and this is, this is unequivocally the, the, the best investor ever yeah. graced the earth. Yeah. Um, so it just can't be done. It's just no. pure luck if yeah. you actually manage to buy yeah. completely low. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah. So, and that's, it's just, it, it goes back to the gambling thing is that if you're, if you're betting on horse, horse racing, you're, you are not going to win over time. That is just fact. You, you may win one weekend or, or the next, but you are not going to win over time. And the same thing happens if you are trying to time the market, when to buy in, when to buy companies, when to sell, all that sort of thing. You may get it right uh, once or twice, or you might get it right sometimes, but you, on average, you are not going to be better off. Absolutely. And, and that's, like we say, the, the two parts of that are, number one, it's not possible. You just, no one can consistently do it over time. And secondly, if we think of it as buying part ownership of a profitable company, it doesn't matter. If, if I want a, a diversified basket of these very profitable companies to pay me dividends every year while I'm retired, mm. I don't really care what I pay for those companies as no. long as that dividend stream continues to grow over time. That's right. Yeah. Um, moving on to tax. Tax. So one that I hear all the time is, is yeah, um, don't work overtime or a second job because you'll just lose it all in tax. Yep. And it's a complete myth. Yes, yep. So you cannot be taxed um, any more than what you earn. You can't even be taxed more than 47% yep. Yep. of what you so, earn. So, so this, this is kind of one where I think um, this is a... Our, our financial system, financial literacy of most people uh, in our school system, those kinds of things. These are the sorts of um, things that we should be learning about that we're just not. How our tax system actually works is um, there are different brackets. And this is, I think, the, for some people, basically on your first $20,000 you earn, you pay no tax. No tax. Then up to $37,000, you pay 19%. Yep. From 37,000 up to 90,000, you pay 34.5% if you include your Medicare levy. What I think most people think here is that you know, up to 37,000, if I earn 20,000, if I earn 18,000, whatever that yep. threshold is, um, if I earn $21,000, then I have to pay the 19%. The whole lot gets taxed at 19%. And yeah. that's just so not how that, it happens. That, that, that is what people think. So yep. they think that as they push up, yep. so 90,000 is a good example, yep. because if you, the bracket under that is 34.5% tax, the yep. bracket above that yep. is 39% tax. Yep. So, so they assume if they earn $91,000, the whole $91,000 gets taxed at 39%. Yep. Um, but it doesn't. It's just the $1,000 that you yeah. earn above yeah. that. So, yeah. so um, yeah, and you can earn up to a hundred and I can't remember if it's one hundred and eighty or one hundred and ninety thousand yeah. dollars um, in that thirty-nine percent tax bracket yeah. before you Go hit the top rate yeah. of tax bracket. So, 
Look, what happens when you get a second job is they tax you extra yep. because they don't know. Yep. That it's, it's The left hand doesn't know the right, what yep. the right's doing. So yep. what happens with our, our tax system, it's a really, really good system yep. at the source, the PAYG yep. system, is that um, you say that you're not claiming the tax-free threshold yep. um, because you've already claimed it on your first job. So yep. they'll just tax you extra on yep. that second job. Yep. So um, look, you get a lot of that back when yes. you do your tax yeah, return. Yeah. So what people are yeah. saying is that yeah, yeah, I, I I'm working the second job and yeah, yeah, I'm I'm working for um, fifteen dollars in the hand or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and you go, well, we 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 yeah, I should be getting paid thirty. They've taxed me fifteen. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an equation like that. Well, um, what what ends up happening is that when they put their tax return in, they get some of that tax yeah. back. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly, yes. you just cannot lose out financially by working a second job or working overtime. No, and that, that's, a, uh, I think, even on, a, like overtime, again, as an example, if you, if you normally earn $1,000 a week, it's $52,000 for the year, if one week you do uh, overtime or you work over the weekend and you earn $2,000 for that week, yeah. what happens at your payroll is that the, the payroll is, well, the calculation of that is just what did you earn for this last week? You earned two thousand dollars. Yeah. That just ex- gets extrapolated out to say, we'll assume that you're going to earn that every week for the rest of the, for this whole year. Therefore, yep. your your gross income would be one hundred and four thousand dollars if you yeah. earn two thousand dollars a week. Yep. So you then get taxed on that on that week's paycheck as though you're going to earn one hundred and four thousand dollars. Yep. Even though that might be the only week that you worked overtime, and over the course of that year, you only earned fifty three thousand dollars rather than fifty two thousand. So as you said, then at the end of the year, that all gets that all gets organised and and is recalculated. And any extra tax that you've paid throughout that year that you shouldn't have paid, you then get that back. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, credit cards. Yeah. This is the one. So this is my number one. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand credit cards because they're abused. Yeah. They are abused. Yeah. Well, um, look, they they work really really well. Yeah. Uh, if done correctly, yeah. the problem is most people don't. don't use it correctly. So the one that I hear, and this is my favourite, is that I don't carry forward a credit card debt because I clear my credit card every month. Yep. At the end of the month, whatever yep. I put in there, I clear. Yep. I go, so what? Yeah. <laughs> because what happens is yep. that you're, you know, there's a high correlation between what that person's after-tax income is and what their credit card yep. bill is at the end of every month. So. Yeah. What we find is that people that, uh, or families that uh, clear seven thousand dollars of income yep. for that for that month, it just happens. Uh, yeah. It just happens to be that their credit card <laughs> bill is around seven thousand dollars at the yep. end of every month, so yep. they save nothing. Yes, they yep. clear the credit card. Yep. Families that have, uh, yeah, high, I've seen higher incomes. I've seen family yep. monthly after tax incomes as high as like fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, guess what? Credit, credit card is fifteen thousand yeah. dollars. But they, what about tack on? But what about my points, Mike? Oh, this is the second one that I can't stand. <laughs> so, like, people abuse credit cards for the points. Yep. And look, if they just spend that time on organising their budget, yep. a lot better. Yeah. And instead of you know yep. um, spending yep. everything that they earn, yep. if they could, you know, put away two or three thousand dollars a month yep. of that money, yeah, um, then. The, 
forget about the points. Yeah, they could pay cash. Yes. for anywhere they, they wanted to go. So um, it's it's funny. This it's is just your this is much. your real real bugbear, isn't it? I I, uh, I don't feel quite as strongly about this, but I, I would completely agree that for every person that um, does this well, you know, the, the whole thing of I use a credit card and then I've got 15 days of interest free and, and then I clear the credit card in full. For every person that um, doesn't spend any more than they would have ordinarily and, you know, gets to use the points and gets to all of those things where it works really well. For everyone who does it yeah. perfectly and it makes no negative impact, there's another four people or another oh. you know, that, that are just, they're spending more than they should be or that they yeah. really would want to be. Um, to try and to try and pick up either a bit of an interest saving on their on their loans or things like that, or to pick up some yep. points. Which, so if you again, if you average that out, you go, there there may be someone out there that is doing this perfectly, but I I just I can't I can't imagine that it, on average, it doesn't make sense to do it for the simple reason that your benefit in terms of oh yeah well I've had that money sitting in my offset account and then I haven't paid it for thirty days or yep. I got some points. The benefit is minuscule compared minuscule. to the risk of most human beings, and I, and I know I'm the same. If I'm tapping a credit card versus actually giving up physical cash, yep. it hurts a lot less. So I'm yep. more likely to overspend. Yeah. So you you may be really well behaved 364 days out of the year and not spend anything extra or do anything different, but all it takes is one day where you buy something that you wouldn't have if you had to pay cash because it's on the credit card and it's a little bit easier you spend a thousand dollars or you spend even a couple of hundred dollars that that extra bit of an expense wipes out all of the benefit of all of the points all of the interest savings all of those things throughout the year so i, I guess it's one of those things that in theory it, it sort of i can understand why people want to do that in practice we just don't see it work it just yeah. doesn't happen yeah it, it's similar to it used to be the, uh, the the one that you used to hear was line of credit loans where people would have a line of credit loan all the pay would go in and then they'd live out of the, the yeah, home loan. That was, that was exactly the same, mismanaged. Yeah, disaster. Um, great in theory, but, yeah. but a disaster in practice. Yeah. Because people would inevitably yeah. put all their wage into their mortgage and then yeah. pull back off it. And yes. you're used to pulling back on, on yeah. that mortgage all the time, anytime they needed money. Yeah. Um, so credit card tends to work the same way, yeah. uh, just a little bit differently yeah. in, that, in that people then get used to yeah, clearing it every month, but but yeah. very very quickly there's a correlation between, between yeah, what their yeah, after tax income is every month and what the what's on the credit card. And yeah, that that ties very neatly into into my one of my favourite myths um, is that um, everyone everyone for some reason tells me that they're going to spend sixty thousand dollars a year in retirement. Mm. And I don't know what is magic about that figure. Every time that I say to someone, "How much do you think you'll spend in retirement?" they say sixty thousand. And what you were just saying there is whatever the amount, for most people, the amount that they're earning is the amount that they spend. Mm. You know, there might be some savings, but I see this where we sometimes have a couple who will be currently spending, um, you know, they're currently taking home net income of $70,000 a year and they're paying $30,000 in mortgage repayments, which they're going to pay out before they retire. Mm. When I ask them how much they're going to spend in retirement, they say 60000 mm. even though they're spending forty at the moment. Mm. On the other extreme, you know, we've got people who are who are getting net income of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and and when they retire, they say they're going to spend sixty thousand dollars a mm. year. And I don't know what it is that's magic about that number, but it seems to be that that's what people think that they will spend. And I actually looked at this. I, I did do some research into this because I was wondering where this figure was coming from. There's a um, 
you know, there's a report that basically says that a comfortable retirement in Australia costs $61,500. Mm. And the way that I think about that is comfortable is completely dependent on what you're used to. Yeah. You know, we, we know this across the, across is, the globe yeah. is that, you know, the, my, my day-to-day expenses would be an absolutely luxurious lifestyle to someone who's living in a shanty town in, in Johannesburg. Yes. And, and then there are some people who have more money than me that if they had to live like me, they'd probably jump off a bridge somewhere. Yes. So my attitude is this myth of I'll spend $60,000 a year in retirement, you probably won't. You will spend about what you're spending now. Yeah. And, and this ties into other, other episodes of podcasts we've talked about where how much do I need to retire, how much will I spend in retirement, should I have a budget, all those sorts of things. I just I think that it's a better way to work on is to assume that you are the same person. You, when you retire, you're going to be the same person that you've always mm. been. You're going to spend about the same amount if that lines up with $60,000 a year, well, then let's work on that. But yeah. if it's different to that, let's work off that figure. Yeah, that's it's a good point because um, if it's different to that, if it's vastly different to that, uh, look, they're the people that we see get into trouble. Yes. Because they yeah. they say it's $60,000, but as soon as they've retired... And yeah. and and they um, when they get to the level of retirement savings that can Support. generate yep. a $60,000 income, yep. they say, I want to retire. Yeah. But all of a sudden, it's eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. So it's 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 it, it is sixty bar for the fact that they didn't yeah. paint their house. So they got yeah yeah another twenty. Yeah. They got yeah. and they didn't uh, yeah. put down anything for maintenance. Yeah. So they've got, they've got, yeah. And this so, these are all conversations that we have with people in that last uh, five ten years before retirement is is of yeah I keep looking at this with people where if you're currently spending eighty thousand dollars a year now. What is going and, and you're saying you want to retire on sixty thousand dollars a year? What is going to change in your life? Where are you going to find that twenty thousand dollars every yeah. year? And unless you have a really good answer, I would I would work the other way and say let's assume that you're going to keep spending the eighty because it's it's better it's safer that way than to say we're going to spend sixty and then as you say every year there tends to be something that pops up. That's right. So you have to get an accurate budget yeah. for a start. So there are a couple of podcasts to listen to. Uh, episode eight, which is uh, top five reasons retirement plans get derailed budget yep. is inaccurate yep um and also uh, in the new year we're yep. about to have a new year's resolutions podcast yep. that yep. will be will be launched yep. um uh, the, our first podcast of the new year yep. and we speak a lot about uh getting your your current expenses yep. on paper yep um in in the budget template and then looking at um shaving that down culling reducing yeah. and, um, and and capping so that's what that's what you have to do as you approach retirement you need to have an accurate figure yes. as to what you're going to spend yep. in retirement yep um, but there's a there's a huge discrepancy for people between what they're currently spending now and what yep. they think they're going to spend yep. in retirement and it's and it's actually bridging that gap and for most people the best the the, the most realistic the most realistic variation of that is somewhere in between it's not that they're going to. Yeah, yeah. It's not that they're earning one hundred and twenty thousand dollars after tax down. They're going to spend sixty thousand dollars. That's unrealistic. Yeah. Generally, to yeah. think that. Yeah. Um, it's unrealistic to think that they'll be able to afford to yeah. continue to pay themselves one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's right. For a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. So it's somewhere. bridging that gap somewhere and saying, yeah. okay, well, it's eighty thousand dollars or it's seventy-five thousand yeah. dollars or, or, or whatever it is, but it's it's getting that done. Yeah. Um, well and truly before yes. you're looking at and, at. Um, retiring 
and this is the way that I guess I'd think of it is, is don't, don't tell me what you're going to spend in retirement. Show me by actually living that lifestyle. Well, yeah. I always go back to when I met with that nutritionist and, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, tell me what you ate in the last 24 hours. And I went, oh, that's, he's, he's smart there because yeah. I was going to tell him what I was going to eat in the next 24 hours. Yeah, I'm going to have... Which is going to be vastly kale different. For kale smoothie for <laughs> breakfast. I'm going to have you know, so, chicken so. and broccoli for lunch. And then you go back 24 hours and go, oh, actually, I had ice cream yeah. for dinner and yeah, you know, pasta for, for lunch. Well, and- well, I really loaded up because I was going to see him <laughs> the next day and I, and, I, and I thought he's going to weigh me. <laughs> So and I want to weigh in as high as possible, and and also it might be the last chance I get. So <laughs> he, he got out, me. Yeah. yeah. But look, I mean, it's a really, it, it's always stuck with me because because looking backwards is the best indication of, of what's going to happen. Of what's going to happen. Yep. Um, so tell us what you spent in the last year. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell us what you're going to spend yeah, the next year. That's right. So that's the first thing is to to get that on paper. What yeah. you spent in the last year. Yeah. And um, uh, before you, you you look at at what you're going to spend the next year yeah and so one final myth just to to wrap up is uh, around retirement age and yeah well this is just a small one i mean people yeah. often say to me they've put the retirement age up haven't they and yeah. what they're referring to yeah is the age pension age so the age pension age depending on when you were born is 65 yeah um depending on um i don't have the dates and uh, yeah the, the birth dates yeah. right in front of me now but, but it's getting pushed up to 67 so for yeah for some people, it um, for a lot of people, it will be sixty-seven. Yep. Now, um, the myth there is that is that you can retire at any age your yep. your um, retirement savings allows. allows. Yep. Now, for superannuation, yep. the maximum age is uh, is age. So, if you're age sixty yep. and retired, yep. you can access your superannuation yep. in, in part, part or in full, yep. completely tax-free. Yep. Uh, so, so that hasn't changed. What the what the myth is is that some people assume they can't access their superannuation until, until age sixty seven. I, I actually really I like this one as a as a good talking point for people because it um, it gets back to something that we feel very strongly about, which is is taking control of your retirement, which mm. is. You know, even the language that that is used around this, which is they've put the retirement age up as as though it's, you know, it's it's someone it's out of our control. Whatever the retirement age is, we just have to kind of go along yeah. with that. That's not how our system works. Our, our system uh, in Australia, our financial system, is that you are you you should be aiming to be a self-funded retiree. Mm. So it's up to you to take control of when you will have enough in retirement savings to support the income that you need. Mm. And this is kind of our our whole our whole um, attitude and, and what we work with people to do in that last ten years of their work is to go is to take control and and work out what is that target of how much will I actually need to support the lifestyle that I want mm. and what can I do now to make that happen. So it's not about what the, what they say or what the government decides or anything like that. It's what can I do now to put myself in a position to retire when I want to retire. Mm. Great point to wrap up, I think, Dallas. So. Um yeah, we've been looking forward to this one for a while. Yep. So um, uh, thanks for listening. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Money Over 50 podcast with Lighthouse Financial Advisors. We look forward to catching up again soon.